Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. And in the second series of the podcast, we're focusing on joy superpowers, special powers each and every one of us can cultivate in order to navigate these turbulent times in which we live. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honor to be your host. In each episode, I'll be inviting our guests to share their words of wisdom on a specific joy superpower. And in this episode, I'm excited to be talking with Barbara Coward, and together we're going to be focused on students and exploring the joy superpower of belonging and connection with fellow students. Barbara is an internationally acclaimed admissions consultant and a top 10 LinkedIn voice in 2020 in the educational field. Barbara coaches MBA candidates through competitive admissions processes, and Barbara also contributes to prominent publications, including Business Insider, Poets and Quants, which I'll have to ask about in a minute, uh, the Financial <laughs> Times and Money. So welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's talk about Poets and Quants. What is Poets and Quants? <laughs> well, um, I'll do the short version. Um, but um, the Poets and Quants, I think it's been around, I think they had their 10-year anniversary last year, if I remember correctly, but it's headed by John Byrne, who is a huge influencer in our space, in the business school space. He was a person, I know we're going to be talking about rankings at, at some point, um, he was a person who, credit, who created the Business Week rankings when he was an editor at uh, Business Week, before they were Bloomberg Business Week. Um, and so um, he, uh, you know, for a second act, so to speak, he created Poets and Quants, addressing both sides of the community for business schools, how it, it attracts people with, you know, econ majors and engineers on the quant side. And then uh, people like me, I was a French literature major and English majors, uh, arts, et cetera, on the poet side. And so um, it is probably the most influential um, publication uh, in fact, I, I'm sure it is in our space. And so I always say, if you're applying to business school, you want to learn more about it, you want to go there. You want to go to Poets and Quants. That's the place. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Barbara. And I'd like to kick things off then by asking you what made you interested in the field of education and the work you do to help students? Yeah. So, you know, I think like many things in life, um, you don't set out to do something, but you kind of fall into it. And um so I, um, you know, originally came from corporate finance, worked in the financial district of Boston. I found out what does not bring you joy, which I thought did, was working in a really fancy office building, like right next to all the nice places to go for lunch and the glass, ele you know, not glass, but the mirrored elevators and that kind of stuff. Um, but I couldn't wait till, you know, catch the five o'clock train because I was unfulfilled during the day. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I um, ended up... Um, relocating um, to the UK because, uh, long story short, my then husband uh, is a third generation family owned business. They make brush making. Uh, they sell to the royal household, to the queen um, in her household, which is kind of cool. Um, and so when I moved over there, there wasn't a whole lot there in the middle of the countryside of mm. um, But I had started my MBA on a part-time basis at Boston College and I wanted to finish it and finish it on a full-time basis. And so that's when I found myself back in the higher ed world. And after I graduated, um, a colleague, a classmate of mine was doing a consulting project for the school and she got another job. She gave, 
asked, recommended me to finish it. And then the Dean asked me to set up the first ever admissions office for the school. So that's how I ended up getting um, involved. I didn't know exactly, you know, anything didn't have that background. Although I will say, you know, going with the theme of the podcast, I do remember when I was a college student and I had student jobs, mm. uh, various ones. I helped a French professor with his research, but my favorite job was working in the admissions office, helping the receptionist welcome students coming in for their interviews, you know, doing that kind of thing. And I just remember that it brought me so much happiness. And so it's kind of interesting that, you know, you can kind of during your college years, you know, through student jobs on campus, mm. kind of test out different things and kind of like think back to hmm, what made me happy. And maybe that could be a career path. So, um, so that's how I ended up um, in the space. And then my company is MBA 360, because I've really had a 360 view of this whole sector. And I've, I worked in admissions, being the person deciding on who gets into the program, um, recruiting students, all that. And then I've also done marketing for schools to help them um, increase their student populations. And, and I've done that all over the world. I flew out to SEEBS, uh, which is the number one business school in Asia and Shanghai, and, and worked there um, for a project. So um, did that. And then now I'm, I'm working on the, what I call the B2C side of the, you know, um, so business to business. Mm -hmm. Uh, B2C to consumer and working directly and solely with applicants applying to mostly business schools, but I get people interested in, you know, public policy schools, um, you know, um, social work. I remember I had a client uh, applying to a social work program. So really in the graduate level space. Wonderful. Well, we're going to focus on that. And I also understand you're a parent of yes. people in the undergraduate space. So I'm sure we're going to hear some stories about that side of things too as well, which is wonderful, which is wonderful. Yes. So belonging is, you know, one of the four pillars of joy, which we have alongside well-being, impact and fun. And today we're focusing on, on students obviously and, and their belonging and in particular, this sense of community with other students and how important mm -hmm. that is. So what do you see in your 360 view on what, are these important aspects or factors when it comes to students feeling that they genuinely belong or going to genuinely belong at a university or college? Well, you know, it's interesting if you think about the whole student journey or the applicant journey too, I have come across certainly in my work at the very initial stages of working with clients thinking about applying to business school or not sure they're, you know, qualified is feeling that they don't belong. Mm. They feel I talked to somebody actually on Friday, as a matter of fact, who was like, hey, you know, I didn't go to a fancy undergraduate program. I'm not working on Wall Street. I didn't think I could apply to, you know, these top programs in New York City. Um, I'm like, of course you can. And so, you know, there's this the sense, um, and I, I think it's a double-edged sword, and I, certainly from my experience with marketing programs, um, you never market the alums who aren't successful. You always tell stories of the alums who are, who are super successful. And as a result, um, you know, it's great. It, it's, it's wonderful. Kudos for the school it's you know kind of a feather in their cap of look you know look at the students we get and where they go on to but then if you're on the other side of somebody who doesn't see themselves like that mm -hmm. you discouraging students from even considering applying to your program because they feel intimidated so you know the aspect of belonging really goes at the you know at the very very beginning of the process for all sorts of reasons too um and I you know I think there's a an expectation or image that there's a perfect person out there that has a great test scores, that has a great undergraduate, 
perfect job experience, but life is life. Things happen, you know, for a semester, something happens during a semester and you don't, don't perform that well, um, or, you know, you move around different jobs for various reasons. And so, um, you know, I think that's very important at the beginning. And then once you get into to, um, on campus, and one thing I give a lot of credit for business schools these days, there is a lot of focus on belonging, mm. a lot of focus on DEI initiatives. Um, so there's, you know, in fact, even, Going back to the applicant stage, a lot of the business schools have um, diversity weekends or, um, you know, weekends or visits for women um, where you feel especially supported. And then that continues throughout throughout the program. I mean, it's it's very it's very different than when I was there. <laughs> and thinking about it, there's there's really this emphasis on making sure people belong and uh, a lot of emphasis on well-being uh, during time on campus. Well, that's fantastic. You mentioned a couple of great things there on the positive side about this um, DEI in particular and the things they can do during the admission process, but also um, on campus as well as the, in this um, basically making people feel that they have this genuine belonging and mm -hmm. you mentioned the downside of that being that obviously if they put up these mannequins at the beginning of you know here's brad and he's got a job on you know wall street doing this and he's got the club tie and the blazer and that then maybe people feel oh well, that's not really me is it so yeah. and that's a two-edged sword that you mentioned there that they can sort of get too carried away with this ideal candidate this ideal image and not realize that there's a whole group of people they could attract as students. Exactly, exactly. Wonderful, wonderful. So we did dug a bit into the research behind belonging when it comes to students. We found a, a national survey of student engagement, um, which measured their involvement in academic and co-curricular activities. And it shows that you know, student success is directly linked to that student's involvement in the institution. Now, you mentioned your own involvement um, working in the admissions um, mm -hmm. department as an example of that. And so from your 360 perspective, how do you see this belonging and interaction with other students actually affecting studies and performance? Oh my gosh, there is a huge correlation. Um, going back to the different hats that I've worn, I remember this is over five years ago, I was working on a, a project for a university to help them relaunch their website and, and pages. So I did a lot of digging into the undergraduate experience. And, mm. and, and I remember um, some re research I came across that said something about student success, the best predictor was the relationship with a faculty member, with, with professors. Right. And so that is really, you know, feeling like somebody cares about them, that they take the time to understand, that they're not just a number. Um, so that, you know, th that's kind of more on the academic side, but um, it really is, you know, and you'll hear me use this word a lot, you know, relationships, it goes back to the relationships and that feeling of being belonging, belong, uh, feeling of being of belonging, and not necessarily, you don't have to have a whole group of people, just even having one person look out for you can make a huge, huge difference. So yeah, it's, 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 fundamental in terms of uh, the connection between belonging and student success. And success, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, one is, is, is wonderful. I wonder when we do this, when we look at friends in general, and we've measured that when we've looked at joyful living and, and friends, we see sort of five as a magic number. Um, you know, if you can have five good friends, 
mm-hmm. who've got your back in different situations, you know, because one might not be at home when you need them, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's good to have a second one that you can call and, and different friends. So maybe in the student world as well, if you can get this group of four or five people that you can connect with and bond with that can help your academic success consider exactly it's funny as i'm going a little off topic but but as an aside given the work that i do and the colleagues i have you know colleagues all over the world so i always say also having friends in different time zones because you know sometimes it might be late for one but early for another and so you know i can i've had conversations with a colleague of mine in tokyo and you know for me it's late 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 at night but for him it's a work day and so um you know in in this global economy um having friends in different time zones also is something a little tip of that i i recommend that's good right if you wake up and feel lonely at three in the morning you could find somebody actually who's awake and not feel that you have to Exactly. <laughs> waking up your best friend who should be sleeping next door because they got an exam tomorrow. You don't want yep. to. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. So, you know, let's talk about well-being and, and we can talk about this networking and student interconnections and how they relate to well-being. How do you see that playing out in your world? Uh, if, if I just may ask a, a kind of follow-up question, and specifically in, in what area in terms of being on campus or yeah I mean no more broadly than that I mean it could be online connection networking it could be on campus connection it could be during the admissions process it could be afterwards once they've got into it at any stage in that sort of when you look at students mental well-being how do you find these sort of networking and interconnections with students to be valuable to that process got it okay um so I have a one answer off the top of my head, which I think is a, a, not perfect, but a, a good one to to use. When you're thinking, and I'm going again, I'm focusing on the the front end of when you're thinking about applying to schools. Mm-hmm. There are so many different resources that you can learn about. How do you find the school that's the best one for you, or which? How do you narrow your list because you can't apply to twenty? You want to apply to three? How do you do that? And so the first protocol for a lot of people are rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, other people will, you know, maybe ask some, some friends. But I hear this over, and I do a lot of research in the space and, and a lot of reading. Um, I hear over and over again that the best way to learn about a school is to talk to current students. Mm. And I think part, part of that too is A, they love to pay it. I keep seeing, you know, especially, it's funny, when September rolled around, I saw a lot of, hey, guess what? I'm starting my new program at MBA at Booth or whatever. And I remember going through this process and I'd love to pay it forward. If anyone else is going through, please reach out to me and I'd be happy to, to help. And I think there is very much of, hey, I got through this. I want to help the next class um, getting through it as well. So there's that, that point of understanding, that desire to help. Um, but it's also the community of people. Too. Um, it's, it's really you know, kind of tapping into that side of the school. It's not, it's not a spreadsheet of a ranking with different metrics where numbers you're looking down. It's a real person on the other side. And again, admin and, and missions offices are fabulous. I'm a huge fan of, of them and they're very, very helpful. But there's something about reaching out to a current student or alum who's, you know, kind of like low stakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't you say anything um, that might come off the wrong way or, you know, gosh, I had a, a poor semester undergrad and I'm not, I don't want to tell them the true story about that. You can say anything to the current student and alum. And I think that is a really, really wonderful way. And there's all sorts of a lot of on the business school side, there's a lot of um, and I'm sure this is across the board with universities like alumni ambassador pages. Right. Um, just go and find something. The thing is interesting, too, on the market enemy always comes out. Sometimes they'll just have the list of the names. 
And if I if I'm a prospective student, like how do I know who I want to talk to just by, by their name? And I think how much better it would be if they actually had it sorted by either location or interests. You know, so basically, if I'm thinking about applying to X school, and I'm like, you know what, I really want to work in impact invest impact investing. I can go onto a web page and I can just see all the students or alums working that, that, that have agreed to talk to me and I can sort it out by that. Or maybe like, hey, you know, um, I'm from, you know, the, a particular state that doesn't get a lot of students applying, you know, from that state, like I'm going to reach out to somebody there or somebody went to the same undergrad. So I think there's, but it's a lot about the connections. And, and the thing is, we're also multi-dimensional. We can on so many levels, I, I do a, a heck of a lot of connecting on LinkedIn and rarely will I, you know, just say to somebody like, hi, you know, let's connect or whatever. It's more of like, like, oh, you went to, you know, this school, you know, I know so-and-so, or we have this in common, or, you know, yeah. you're in the city and, you know, was over there, et cetera. Um, so I think that's, that's really a factor of belonging is finding, um, you know, something that you have in common or a, a shared interest and really doing it that way. It just goes beyond the superficial of, that we tend to think in terms of demographics. Right, and I'm glad you mentioned LinkedIn because I was going to ask you about that to ask you, how do you see that if you're a prospective student thinking about a particular college or university to sort of do some searching on LinkedIn and, and maybe reach out to somebody through that platform? Absolutely. And a lot do. I know, I know that a lot will, will do that. Um, and that's, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, like school, again, there's a desire, which is human nature too, and, and certainly for marketing to control the message. And so it's like, okay, we don't want, you know, these person talk to this person wasn't really happy here when I do this, but we live in a world where anybody can, there's, you know, equalization or democratization, if I'm saying it the right thing, of information. And so anyone can go on to LinkedIn, reach out to anyone. And, and so it's a matter of convenience and it's easy to do. Um, and so I think, you know, the only thing I would say about that is people have different personalities. Some people are like always helpers, you know, they love to do it. Some people just could be really busy, you know, have other demands on their time. So I would say if you reach out and you don't hear back, I wouldn't just say, oh, my God, that's I'm not going to apply to that school because that person didn't get back to me. Um, you know, there, there could be all sorts of reasons. And there's a whole spectrum of people um, at different ones. But um, definitely suggest doing that if you ask in a nice way and you know you, you put a kind of opt out like I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you to get to know you but I'm catching you at a bad time that I perfectly understand then I think you know that's that works out really that works, well that works great so you've got these informal sort of networks and informal communities and then I presume you also have them in most or all of these um, colleges and universities you have formal student organizations um, that a student can, can join and belong to different clubs, different societies, different houses, and be active within those. Do you see that having a positive impact on people's um, success and their, their well-being? Oh my gosh, very, very much so. And it depends on the school. I mean, small schools, again, you just don't have resources to have a lot of clubs. And hmm. But I went to Harvard Business School's website and over like I think when I got to 60 I stopped counting <laughs> in terms of the clubs there are just so many clubs um and all of that but yeah it's all about the relationships and the people that you meet and the bonds that are that are formed and the support that you get you know I've, I've certainly come across people who say you know I was able to get into this consulting job or industry because of the consulting club that I was in the support that the second year students gave the first year students for interview you know internship interviews etc something like that so I think and there's a lot of 
like talk about joy and, and well-being. And there's so many fun clubs. There's like right. a one club and there's, you know, there are golf and like ski clubs and all sorts of different activities. Um, interestingly, um, London Business School last year launched their first um, Black business club um, by a couple of students who said that when they arrived on campus, they, as they said, they always do in new spaces, when I looked around the room and counted the number of Black faces, yep. they only counted 11 and said, well, wait a minute, why don't we have a, a club here? So um, they started off. So there is a lot, uh, I will see a lot of um, initiative that if something's not there, you know, people are like, oh gosh, I don't feel like I'm belonging because because of whatever. Like, go ahead and start a club. The schools yeah. love that. Um, I saw somebody, this was last year too, I think at Harvard Business School, started like a parents club. Mm. Um, and so there's all sorts of different uh, things you can do. But yeah, it's all about those relationships um, and, the, and the people that you meet and the support that you get along the way. Right. So finding your tribe um, <laughs> within that organization, within that community. Definitely, definitely. And yeah, if it's not think, there, build your own tribe. Right? Yeah, and the only caveat I do want to say, what I see is more of an issue than actually finding a tribe or creating one is deciding which one you want to belong yeah. to. There's so much overwhelming. There's there's not enough hours in the day to be pulled in all these different directions yeah. and, and all that. So it's almost, and that can do the opposite. If you're stressed out because you've got too many commitments, right. that kind of, you know, then you don't feel like you belong anywhere and all that. So it's more of a case of like, okay, how do I prioritize? How do I decide what I want to do? It's a bit like the friends, less is more. Um, exactly. Exactly. Quality <laughs> over quantity and commit and find what you're passionate about, I suppose, at the end of the day, right? That's the, yep. that's the thing. Absolutely. Right? Focus yep. on that. <laughs> so what advice, apart from obviously joining joining clubs, would you give to someone who is having a hard time connecting with their peers um, at a university or college? Um, what other sort of things could you recommend them to do to help well, them? You know, yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. Um, the world is different than when I went to college. And if you were making friends or meeting people, it was through um, people you met on campus. It was through, you know, unless, and I spent a semester at Wellesley College outside of Boston, and they had a, um, a exchange program, a, um, you know, cross transfer, if you want to call it that, um, at MIT. And that's where I actually met my fiance in class. Um, oh. it, um, so that's a whole story in and of itself. Um, but it was mostly, you know, on campus. Now, because of social media, if you're on campus and you're not meeting people, you can meet people at other campuses. I think one of my son's first girlfriend when he was in college, he's been out a couple of years now, was somebody who was studying um, at another college. Right. And so, yeah, so there's, you know, look, kind of think of the bigger world and think of mm. outside that and in terms of the, the, the network beyond um, and, you know, connections, um, you know, digital connections right. like into in-person ones as, as well. But also combined, if there's a faculty member or if there's an administrator who's like super mm -hmm. and super, like reach out to them and ask for their support. They love to do that. They yeah. really are there to help, so. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and it's wonderful that there are these wonderful people they're supporting and helping. Mm -hmm. But I love this yeah. to, to expand that network, right? If you're struggling within that little campus community to really find your niche, to find your your group use these digital tools to expand your horizons and maybe from the next state or another country um all of a sudden you found people who understand you people who are in the, that same situation as you and can help you and together you can 
Yeah, and along those lines, again, I'm, I'm going back to the MBA world, but, um, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was a couple of years ago. I have seen actually clubs and schools, people at one school reach out to like a bunch of schools, like seven to have a fundraising event. There's something, I can't remember what it was, but something a couple of years ago, national or international. I can't remember. Maybe it was from COVID or maybe it was from some other, you know, event that had happened. Um, but they actually, you know, formed a, they had like a, a, a charity kind of fundraiser, like Follies, you know, entertainment. And so in terms of belonging, they actually reached out beyond their campus communities to do that with peers at other schools. And wow, I think that's nice. to, to do too. That's great. That's great. I think talking about digital is a, a wonderful segue into the pandemic. And obviously we couldn't have our talk today without touching on the subject of the pandemic and how it's affected obviously everybody's lives, but in particular students' moods, feeling and well-being have been impacted by this. And one piece mm -hmm. of research we found said that um, close to one third of, of students noted psychological distress during mm -hmm. the, the lockdown as opposed to only one in five um, previous in the 2016 survey. How does that sort of tie in with what you're seeing on the ground in the field when it comes to the impact of the pandemic? Yeah, so, um, you know, a, a couple of things. The first, you know, again, going to my kind of space and, and my expertise, um, understandably, when COVID happened, a lot of the, the classes went online. And when there were resurgence of cases this past fall, um, I want to say in September, Harvard Business School, um, their, their cases shot up. And so they went online for a week. I just saw mm -hmm. Kellogg um, at Northwestern University um, did something similar. So, um, and it's interesting because I, I, I see a lot of, you know, some people kind of say, you know what, it's, it was still worth it. You know, it was worth it for me to do this because even though I couldn't be on campus or, you know, connect with people face to face, I still feel part of the community and all the clubs went a lot online right. and all of that. But then there was some also, there's a huge discussion too um, amongst different schools. Like, why am I paying this much? Mm. You know, this is the experience. And you'll hear me say that a lot too, you know, again, beyond the, the, the premium for the salary or compensation increase, it really is the experience of this, you know, why am I going to pay six digits <laughs> to go to some of the schools, six figures, but um, for that. And so um, it really, you know, it really kind of, I don't want to say lessened, but it, you know, it was a disappointment for many on that, on that case. Um, I think, you know, and I, and I learned this too in some research that I had done, what's worse, even worse than bad news is uncertainty when you don't know. And I will say that that was really, like if I think about you know kids in college too, it was like, okay, are we starting the semester? Are we not starting? What's gonna happen? I mean, my son is a sophomore and um, his last year, so he started when COVID started and they had the freshmen on campus um, for the first semester. Um, but then they switched it and had them go home and then have the upperclassmen there. And he ended up going, you know, you could, uh, you know, make an argument or whatever, why you wanted to be on campus and all that. Um, and he had a lot of upper level classes. And so his community was there. And so he was able to do that. But I think it, just remembering through that whole time, it just was, again, it was confusing. What are you doing? And we're going to put some, some in a hotel instead of on campus and just all of that. So I can definitely see that that is that, you know, uncertainty that is so hard. And actually, um, this, I remember a story too, where he, again, you're a freshman, so you want to have a good image. So all his classes were still virtual, even though he was on campus. 
his roommate at the time walked into the room when he was on, I forget what class he was taking, but he was in class and the professor said something. And the kid like spilled all the cereal on the floor in the middle of when my son was like taking the class. And then he got out the vacuum, you know, and my son was really worried. He's like, what's the professor? I'm like, they, they understand, they won't worry about, it. but you can understand how a freshman kind of think, wait a minute, I want this to go really well. And what will they, you know, what will they think of it? So again, it adds all the things we don't think about. We think about the loneliness, we think about the difficulty connecting, but like, yeah, if you're going to be on campus and you have a roommate and you have to have quiet in your room and you can't leave your room and that roommate decides to like eat cereal at that moment and spills it all over the place, like that creates a, you know, a little hiccup for the day. So those are things that, um, you know, I think really is important to think about for administration, administration, when they make these decisions, we're going to campus we're going to do this like yeah there's all sorts of ramifications there's all the practical considerations to mm -hmm. as well that's for sure yep. yeah definitely definitely so it's had a big impact on, and i'd like to talk about the admissions process in particular and if we think about belonging and well-being do you see parents and the students themselves actively concerned about this issue when choosing between different universities? Is it on their agenda? And on the other side of that, are educational institutes, are they proactively bringing this up as a differentiator? Or is it still something that's not on their radar when it comes to saying, they come to our school, we'll take care of you? Yeah, I think I think they all are. I mean, you won't ever see any marketing or school saying we won't take care of you or, you know, you're on your own and good luck with it. Um, you know, it's all, you know, it's kind of like the thing today, you know, for, for really to have a lot of outreach in that. But there are some that have lip service and there's some that, you know, really walk the talk. And, you know, I think it goes back to culture. Um, again, going back to my business school expertise, I can like cite right off the top of my head a couple of business schools that really excel on that culture side and they do walk the talk and they really care. I remember even, I know, I'll give a shout out to one, University of Michigan Ross, Go Blue, um, which has an incredibly supportive admissions team. And I remember reading an article once about um, how somebody felt that they didn't belong. They were at some recruiting event. And one of the admissions directors, um, Diana Economy, I'll, I'll give her because I just thought it was so amazing. And she actually wrote the student in the blog how Diana came up to her and like kind of helped her out and kind of like, you know, showed her around and took her under her wing and really how that made a difference. And so um, there are some schools that go that way. And there's some other ones that are, you know, big schools in a city and they just don't have the time or the, you know, the culture to do that. Um, so, you know, it, I think it really depends on the school. And, you know, I have a, somebody I know who was in a graduate program, not business school, um, at one of the top, you know, an Ivy League institution. And um, from what I heard of how she was treated in terms of like questions on assignments and the kind of gruffness and all that got back, um, it, was, it was remarkable to me that, you know, I'm like, they must be able to rest on their laurels because you know, other schools wouldn't be able to treat students like that and, and get away with it. So I, just, I think it really depends on the case. Right. And, but that's interesting when you said, you know, everybody's pushing it um, from their marketing brochure perspective and their perspective. So how does a student or their parents, you know, especially if they're looking to put a six figure summer into sum into this, how do they distinguish the lip stick on the pig as opposed to this is the real deal? Yeah. So, um, the great thing about the era that we live in, the pros and the cons, is one, it's an open society when it comes to knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot of information, a lot of, you know, 
thing, you know, I even, I follow Reddit. There's an MBA page. I, you know, I save it up because there's so many things and I, and then I'll just do a kind of sit down and go through all of them. It's an open forum. And so, um, you know, there's all sorts of ways that parents can through, you know, connections, other parents, or even have their kids look up, you know, different chat rooms. Um, you know, there's Rate My Professor um, that was, you know, back in the day, I don't know if that still is a case, but that was pretty open about the, the faculty members. So you really just talk to the people who know it best and the students and, and the alums who were, you know, kind of been in your shoes and, and kind of, you know, get enough data points to say, okay, I see a pattern here. You know, this is what I, what I think. And it's, that is super important because, you know, the marketing budgets, again, I've worked in marketing for schools. I've done consulting marketing for schools. Um, they're a well-oiled machine and they will, you know, put out the, like I said, the person who's successful or they'll highlight or they won't put out the person who's not. Um, and then going back to rankings, there's some, you know, like student satisfaction in one of the recent rankings, uh, one of the top business schools in one of the recent rankings, um, didn't do that well because it was during COVID when the students were um, surveyed and they weren't really happy with how the how the um, how the school handled it and so that really bumped them down in the rankings and so um, anyway so there that's a, that's a factor as well but you know talk to everyone anyone I, you know I always say when you're in the school before you're going and when you're in it takes a village um, and so you know that's where I would um, you know just again, talk to as many people as, as you can. I think certainly today with so many ability, ways to connect with people, I think it's more of a case like I have, don't have enough time to connect with as many people than not finding somebody. Right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. So we've talked a lot about the admissions and obviously the postgrad and the graduate area. So if we talk a little bit about the undergraduate, just to wrap us up and your personal experience of a parent, is there anything, any stories you'd like to tell? related to, to your yourself as a parent with your undergraduate kids when it comes to belonging and, and well-being at the yeah uh, well actually I have two things can I can I go back a, one bit when I, I'll, I'll share a story that I thought was fascinating when I worked in executive MBA admissions and programs um, that's really a tough program to do because it's for targeted for you know mid-level managers mm. uh, aspiring to be senior leaders um, who have you know eight years or ten years of work experience and so what else is going on if you're a student at that time? Chances are you have a family, you've got kids in school, there's school activities, all of that. And so I remember there were two programs. Um, one was a every Saturday for two and a half years for half a day. Hmm. And if you think like how much you have to do on a weekend and then you throw school in that and all that. And I remember one of the students after graduation, I said to him, you must be so happy the program's over. It's like you get your studies back. And he said, no, he goes, I'm going to really miss everyone. This became, mm. and so that really said something to me that you know, even though you have the work on top and and juggling all the different things, it's that tribe, it's that community, you know, people um, who understand you, things that you could never say at the workplace, you know, for fear of rec recrimination with colleagues or bosses or whatever. Yep. You can find and you have that support system outside. I remember even another story, and then I'll get to the the direct uh, direct question that you just had um, of executive students at the end were celebrating because they had, were a part of a team and one, the team was able to get one of the members to stop smoking. And I'm like, well, where is that on a ranking? You know, like it's basically person kind of might've helped extend their life, you know, right. and all that. So, you know, there's all that aspect to it, but on the undergraduate set, side, I would say, um, 
you know, you have um, business and that you have also academia. Uh-huh. And I remember, you know, to fear my, my former husband would always say when I worked in the UK and, and he goes, the problem is they can't decide if they're a business or are they education? What are they? Are they one or the other? You know, in terms of setting costs and all that, we always try to have that conversation. And I think there's so much opportunity. And again, I won't even get into it, but the, the, the governance, the structure, the reward system, all of that kind of prevents it from being, being that case. But there is not as much emphasis on the customer experience. And there's, all, there's also this debate, are students customers? Are they not customers? You know, da, 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 da. Um, and so, you know, that's a, the, the whole story. But certainly from my experience and kind of something I'm going through right now is if you have a, a student who's, you know, needs some extra help, needs some support, do not kick the can down the road. <laughs> you know? right. Not like bounce them around to everyone. You know, I a situation in an extended family right now where the student in college was in tears on Thursday because mm-hmm. getting the support. I mean, that's not a joyful experience as well. And you know, basically was like, hey, you know, had a health situation, was out of classes for a bit, needs to catch up. Well, you talk to this, and I'll know, go talk to them. Oh, you can't talk to me. You got to talk to this person. You got to talk to that person. Yeah. How would that ever work? You know, if I got something, a book from Amazon would be like, oh, no, you can't talk to this department, talk to this department and all of that. And, you know, Nordstrom, you know, the legendary on customer experience, mm-hmm. you know, would, that would never work. Or the Ritz-Carlton, you know, the whole mantra of that, and certainly um, total quality management um, back in my day, that was the big thing with them, was anybody who works here should be able to solve your problem. You know, it doesn't matter if you're walking down the hall and it's a maid who's walking down the hall and it's something not to do with mm-hmm. maid but something else and all of that and so there's a lot of silos there's a lot of the reward system you don't get rewarded for helping students it's not going to help you in your 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 research you know it's not going to help you all of that and so and again there's some some faculty who generally care and administrators who generally care but I've been around the block I've met some who, who, who don't um and so that is my my whole thing of just you know treat that one-to-one basis of, you know, the relationships and treating people as you would want to be treated. That's yeah. I think I love that. I love the the concept of obviously, you know, in my, my work in the consumer insights business previously that, you know, I'm a firm believer in the power of the customer and customer centricity and, and yes, the students in this respect and their parents are the customers and shouldn't be seen as a product for profit um, but really mm-hmm. they should be seen as a, somebody to serve who as a result you end up with a profit um, but it's a mind shift as you say to see them in that space and and I think that's a good thing that you said that the parents or the students looking to compare and to to scratch under the surface to think about how does that institute deal with problems? Because right? mm-hmm. everybody's good when things are smooth. It's the question, well, how do you deal if somebody does have an issue, either whether that's physical health or mental health, you're getting behind, you're getting a problem. What sort of structure and process um, is in place? How do other students feel that they or their people they know have been helped in these situations? Mm-hmm. Not just focus your questions when you're talking to other students about, hey, you know, how's the fun at the club? But think, hey, do you know anybody who's had any sort of mental health problems or any physical challenges? How has the university helped them then when they've had these issues? And maybe that can help you get beneath the, the surface to see who's 
actually caring. Exactly. And, you know, it's a tough thing, too, because I can imagine with some, you know, there's such a, a, a desire for brand and location and all that, that I, I could imagine a parent, too, and saying, you know, what, I haven't heard some great things, but you should go to this university instead, because I've heard the kid might say, no, this is where I want to go. This is, you know, where this is my dream. And so it's, you know, you're making decisions with limited information or maybe not perfect decisions because of the circumstances. But I would say to that effect, the one good thing about the academia is the squeaky wheel does, what is the expression? Yep. Um, <laughs> um, you'll have to finish that off for me, but, but basically that you can, you know, I had, and I've been there when I've worked in administration where students aren't happy about something, they're not shy about letting you know that. Right and working so you know if you aren't getting that result or whatever like yeah ask for it you know keep pushing find the person in the institution who's going to be the most receptive and and make a case for them and have them help be your ally and all that so um yeah i definitely would would say when it does happen you know don't stay silent try to get some some results get some results and and preempting is always in my mind the way to go so to know in advance that this is a place that will take care of me this is a place that does especially as a parent you know concern with i want my child to come out of the educational experience with a strong mental health um and maybe a little less money than the opposite of having a great career but having a nervous breakdown and burnout by the time they're 30 um it's it's not worth it yeah, and you know, again, I'm on the graduate side, so I see a lot of on the other side where students who are applying to some of the top graduate business schools will say, you know, I had a tough semester, I had to drop out, or I had some classes or whatever, and they're worried about, you know, will that impact their chances? You know, why can't we just normalize or, you know, kind of say, yeah, you know, everyone goes through tough times. So, you know, let's not have it, you know, that, and that's something I specialize in because I, I hate to see people miss out on an opportunity for a better life, better career opportunities because they had something in their background, mm. you know, kind of um, is a little bit of a, a blip and, and yeah. to do that. So, you know, again, I, th I think we need to, you know, go beyond that and think like everyone has something. Yeah. People have been through different things. I've seen, you know, actually I've worked really interestingly with a lot of clients who have had a parent die. It's really interesting. Um, and actually, I had somebody I worked with last year who's at one of the top schools who decided to finally apply when her dog died. And so sometimes, you know, there's that like that kind of loss and that mm. kind of happens. But that, you know, if that happened to somebody as an undergrad, that would undoubtedly impact their performance. Yeah. And, all. and that's that's life. And so I think we need to, you know, kind of I'm really happy that Brene Brown, um, who, you know, one of the thought leaders and vulnerability. Yes and all that, she teaches at University of Texas Macomb School of Business. Right. And I think we need to have more voices like that. One of my, um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm jumping here, but you had kindly sent me some questions and to, to look over that I could possibly be asked. And one of them was, who do you recommend listening yes. to? Grant is my go-to person, Adam Grant from Grant. University of Pennsylvania, um, who talks about, you know, giving versus receiving. I follow him on social media and every day he has something that's just so enlightening, profound. You know, it's just, um, I really recommend following him. Wonderful. Well, while we're there, we're almost at the end. So that's a good segue into saying, well, who else would you recommend? You've got two now, Brené Brown and Adam Grant, the two people you would definitely recommend. Who else could you have had to name a third or, or fourth? Maybe? Oh gosh, what I could, could think about. Um, you know who's also really good, and she has a new book out. And I, you know, I know her, but I don't know her well, so this isn't a plug just for her. But um, 
Dory Clark. Dory Clark. Is a thought leader. She's on LinkedIn. She teaches at Fuqua School of Business as an adjunct professor, but she's written a number of books. Um, late, uh, let me just see if I can pull it up real quickly because it's so, she is phenomenal. And it's actually, she's like, she was in theology school and then she wanted to work in politics. And now she's like a thought leader who, who writes and teaches and consults. Um, and so she is just somebody who's so inspirational. Um, okay, this is the, the most recent one, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. There you are, there you are. And she also had one on reinventing you, how to reinvent yourself, stand out. Um, so she is definitely somebody I would recommend. That's three, three really strong recommendations. I love the number three, so we'll stop there. And yep. <laughs> my final question to you for today, because we're running out of time, Barbara, will be all the things we've discussed today, if you had to boil it down to three tips to students and parents to take away from our discussion today, what would be the top three things that come to your mind? Uh, the first one would be relationships. Look at relationships. Don't ignore rankings. We all love, love rankings. We don't, you know, nobody wants to say like, hey, I went to the worst school in the ranking. Everyone wants to go to the best, but it's all subjective. Um, but think about the relationships uh, that. Um, I would also say um, feel empowered um, that if you feel like you aren't, don't feel like you've, you're belong, you know, you have a sense of belonging and something, some structure is not in place or system is not in place, make it happen, you know, get some allies to do that. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, again, focus on um, the whole experience rather than just being worried about, you know, the grades and but there's a lot of pressure, you know, it's, you really, it's a, it's a fun time of life. You're meeting people, you're discovering yourself and for parents. And so, you know, again, don't, if your kid doesn't go to this top school or whatever, the world is not over. Um, there's all sorts of experiences. You know, I went to, you know, it, it, ironically, I had another school I wanted to go to undergrad. It was a regional school. It was small. It was in California, it had foundries and swimming pools. It had a, you know, it was a Catholic institution, very much of a religious culture. And I, I love that. But I was, you know, encouraged to go to the institution I went to, which is, you know, definitely, um, you know, had, had more of a, a presence, but it was a sense of belonging and, uh, and all of that. So I have personal experience with that. Yeah. And so, you know, just, just think about it together and not just what's going to be the most prestigious. Yeah, and I like that because... You know, I know there's a lot of pressure, as you say, both from parents and society in general to push towards the pinnacle of the top. But this brings us back to the beginning of the conversation and your own experience of this glass tower in the middle of Manhattan and realizing maybe that wasn't the place where you felt you belonged anyway. So, you know, if somebody had gone down that path of pushing themselves to peak performance, to get into this peak school, to get into this peak job, and then to realize by the time that they're 30 that really wasn't bringing them joy in their lives. Um, maybe exactly. things holistically already as a, as a student, what, what are your values? What do you really want from your life? What brings you joy? So we're back to really what brings you joy and maybe it is money, maybe it is that yacht, um, but maybe there are other things as well that can, can bring you joy that doesn't necessarily need you to, to push yourself right to your limits and over the limits. Um, and yeah. And just one final point, as I think about it too, when I was doing marketing for schools, um, I interviewed somebody who was from a very, a student from a rural community, and he was doing an MBA at a, a, a good program, but certainly not the ones that you would make a wow, you know, when you looked at that. 
where for him, it was, I never expected to be here. I never thought I'd have this opportunity. And so there's a lot of elitism in this space, tons and judgment about, um, you know, and it's kind of funny because I've seen on signs like, you know, kind of looking down at this school, but then that school that they're looking down looks on down on another school. <laughs> so it's all relative. And so it is, you know, just kind of putting that aside and, and just thinking, you know, that sense of gratitude, like, and that sense of joy and like, how lucky am I to be from this rural community and I'm here, um, which he definitely felt, but I would imagine some other people in my circles would, would look at it differently. Right. And that, that is finding the joy in that, in that moment, mindfulness in practice as a student. So that's fantastic. exactly. Yep. <laughs> Unfortunately, Barbara, that's all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank you obviously for coming on the show and for sharing your wisdom and your passion for this topic. So thank you very much for that. But before you go, there is one last little question. And that's just to ask you, what brings you joy today? Today or just or in today life? or in general? At this uh, moment, in this moment. In this moment. I think it's about meeting people. I like meeting people I didn't know existed. And, and that's what social media has done in terms of, you know, conversations and people. So I'm, you know, appreciative and, and grateful, enjoying getting to know you and fascinated with the work that you do. And, and so that's, at this moment, that's what's, what's bringing me joy, connecting with you and, and uh, you know, building that relationship. Excellent. Well, I've enjoyed it too, Barbara. Thank you so much for yeah. that. And I hope you, our listeners, feel inspired and empowered also by my chat with Barbara today about the joy superpower of belonging, and especially as it relates to students and their belonging together with other students. So if you want to find out more about Barbara and the work she's doing, I suggest you connect with her on LinkedIn. And that's very easy through Barbara Coward. If you search for, for that, you'll definitely find Barbara there. And if you want to help us spread the joy, you know, please shop hop onto social media and using the hashtag joy superpowers, share your own experiences with belonging with your peers. And if you don't already do so, please follow the art and science of joy on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Come in and join the conversation and help us spread the joy. Thanks once again for listening. And I hope you tune in for the next episode of the art and science of joy podcast. Thank you and stay joyful. <laughs>